This is Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. Shine On is a weekly presentation with guests, ideas, information, and fun designed to improve your life from 100.7 WHUD. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. If you have or know teenagers, listen to this man, psychologist Dr. Michael Bradley. His new book is called Crazy Stressed. What's going on in the brains of our kids in this information age? Well, it's kind of a perfect storm of a couple things. One, teenagers have always had brains that don't work so good. That's been true from forever because they're just in the process of becoming adult brains. What has changed, Casey, is the world around our kids is radically different for the first time since we've been measuring this stuff and it is really stressing them in ways that is hurting them they are suffering clinically in ways we've never seen another generation of teenagers suffer you know I feel it and I think everybody sees it and it is so scary as an adult I can't handle all the information that comes to me in all the different ways that it comes to me I but I can monitor myself and say well I need a couple of days off the internet kids can't do that that's exactly exactly correct Casey that as adults we can self-monitor and self-limit and if the social stuff is getting too crazy we just say hey guys you know call me in a month I'm out of here teenagers can't do that if you remember your own teen days having friends the whole social game meant everything but today the social game is more or less kind of a, a battlefield that creates stresses these kids cannot handle and they are actually suiciding in record numbers often and for reasons we trace back to the social media stuff. The kind of information that the kids are seeing, it seems to be above their ability to totally figure it out. Am I right? Absolutely, both quantitatively and qualitatively. Because of the electronics, that's really the key that's changed everything. Back in the day, you know, we had, as a teenager, we had to work really hard to get information. Uh, It just wasn't pounding us 24-7 from screens on our hip. Um, Today, information is overload. It is just a, a terrible crisis for kids that literally doesn't let them sleep at night. They can't stop the streaming going on. And again, a lot of this information causes them personal stress because it has to do with social issues that they deal with all the time. I want to talk about the teenage brain as you do on page 35 of Crazy Stressed. You talk about the bass awkward the bass awkward brain wiring. So so they're at a point in their lives where their brains are all messed up anyway, right? Absolutely. And again, that's always been true, but Mother Nature has a sense of humor. She she when she starts renovating that little child brain into an adult brain, she starts first with the passion centers in the back of the head, the emotions, need for affirmation, sex drive, trying to be cool, take risks, all that's in the back. So she gets that stuff online and it's charging. What's last wired in is the front of the brain and that's like the committee that's the part of your brain that grabs some impulse from the back of your brain and says you know this is a dumb idea this could turn out really bad we're we're not going to do it so kids have the first part that passion the impulsivity they don't have the second part which has to do with judgment and long-term thinking that's always been the case again but our cultures were safer for kids this new electronic culture just keys in on that stuff in the back of the brain and explodes it right so you know back in the day a kid might take mom's car as uh, one of your um statements is an example of 
you really thought mom Subaru could ford that creek? You know, <laughs> they could t- get in the car. They'd have a few minutes and maybe, you know, to change their mind. But today it's hitting send. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, that's a key point, Casey. We always did that crazy stuff with mom's car. That's an actual uh, event from one of my cases, by the way. Right. The key part was that the impulse hit and then everybody pulled out their phones and said, hey, let's, let's play this live. And they start this live video streaming thing. Judgment just goes out the window. Out the window. They're so hyped up with you know getting online, having people like them trying to ford the creek, that it's just a, a runaway train. And you times that by a thousand, and that's what teenagers deal with today. What do you want parents to be on the lookout for with their own kids? Well, you have to really reshape parenting, and that's really what the book is about. Uh, this is, you know, a mixed military part of the military metaphor, but this is a new war. You can't fight it with the rules from the last one. That trick never works. And parents have to adapt to this new terrain, to the new enemy. Back in the day, parents did not have to build skills of kids to navigate the culture as early as we do today. So we have to promote something called resilience, which is really a process of parenting to teach kids to make good decisions at very early ages, because if you don't, the culture is going to come after them when they're 9, 10, and 11 and insist they make sophisticated decisions about things that can hurt them terribly. So we have to get to them first and build those skills. Wow, younger and younger and younger. Does taking away their devices help any? No, you know, the devices are here to stay. Our mission, again, you know, in the military sense, is not to control their device, but rather teach them to control their device. And that's, it's not black-white. It's not either handing them the device saying good luck or ripping the device out of their hands. It's using the screen, the technology, the way we view driving which is to say, all right, there's an upside and a downside here. Uh, driving can be great, can really you know, help your life expand. It can also kill you and other people. You should start very cautiously with the screens with kids, saying in the beginning, there will be controls. You're going to have a permit, if you will, as you learn this. And I will be spying on you. I'm telling you that up front. I'm going to be reading your text, going to be seeing where you go on the Internet until I have a sense that you're ready to solo. And then I'll gradually pull back the control because I want to be sure you're ready for this level of autonomy. It does not happen at age six. We say hold off these screens and unfettered access to the Internet for as long as possible. And then once you see that they have to have that access, teach them in a controlled fashion to really control themselves as they engage there. Dr. Michael J. Bradley, the guest, he wrote, yes, your teen is crazy, and now he's out with crazy stressed, saving today's overwhelmed teens with love, laughter, and the science of resilience. I've never met so many teens who don't sleep. I've never met so many young insomniacs. How can you help them? Uh, there's, you know, we talk about that a lot in the book. When I become king of the world, Casey, I'm still waiting for that call, but edict number one will be teenagers get to sleep nine to ten hours every night. That would actually put me out of business. Um, kids would be doing so much better if they were simply sleeping. Um, that is the number one issue. If we're not sleeping, Casey, nothing else works in our lives. Everything goes to hell quickly. And the list of things that are affected by sleep goes on for 400 pages, everything in our lives, uh, including our physical health as well as mental health, judgment, and safety. So uh, parents have to attend to that. 
doing that is really hard because kids think they can get by on four hours of sleep. A lot of them are trying to do that. And that's a, one of the reasons why we're losing so many of them. So you have to engage with them to help them slowly change their lifestyle to get that sleep. And part of that means no screens in the bedroom. That just does not work. So before you hand the kid a screen as a young child, be sure you let them know the cardinal rule will always be no screens, no TV, no computer, no phone in the bedroom. Those things are done during the day out in public and then hung up at night. Now, kids that are already doing that stuff, you're going to have to bribe them to get the screens out of there. You know, strike deals, you know, negotiate deals with them, give them other things to get them to give up those screens. And by the way, you know, one of the tricks is to pay them to sleep. People laugh when we hear that, but it's hard for kids to reset their sleep clocks. So engage with them with incentives to try to get them to hang up the phone and get to sleep. You'll have a different teenager if you can pull that off. All right. I don't want to stop you. I want to go on and on and on because this book is so fantastic. And you do cover everything in this book. Sex and drugs all uh, and rock and roll. It's all in here. But here, take the last minute that we have and just appeal to the parents. Give them your best pitch of what they can do with their crazy, stressed-out kid. Uh, to remember, guys, as parents, believe it or not, and I know you don't believe it right now, if you've got teenagers in the house, you are the most powerful force in their culture, in their world. They roll their eyes, they stomp away, they scream when you try to talk to them, and they are more influenced by who we are, not what we say. They study us. They listen with their eyes to see how do we handle our partners? How do we handle conflict with our partners? How do we handle our own ability to engage at work in a good way? What are our values? What, what is our character? What's our purpose and passion? That is tremendously impactful for kids, but it's really walking a walk, not talking a talk. So when parents say, tell me the most important thing I can do to help my teenager, I say, start helping yourself. Change yourself. You want the kid to get enough sleep? You model that. You model wellness, diet, exercise, and sleep habits. That stuff does impact on your kid over time. I love him. Michael Bradley, Crazy Stressed is the new book. Dr. Mike Bradley is the website. Okay, what if your brain could talk to your back and your back could talk to your belly and your belly could talk to your ankle? I know it sounds crazy, but I tried The Listening Cure by Dr. Chris Gilbert and I got some good information that seemed to be hiding in me. Dr. Gilbert believes most of our illnesses have a basis in stress and emotions. We have so many aches and pains or fatigue or people suffer from recurrent infections. And the question is, why? You know, so many physicians just take only five minutes to give just antibiotics or anti-pain medications or anti-inflammatories, and those are just band-aids. What I do is I ask, why? What is the deep reason for those symptoms? And that's how I got to my unconventional techniques to find the origin of those symptoms and to treat them appropriately because there is no real treatment at this point. Okay, so let's talk about maybe some of your clients. What kind of conditions did they come to you with and how did you determine what the cause was? Well, let's see. Let's say somebody comes for 
chronic back pain. I ask, you know, why, what triggered that back pain? You know, did you stay for long periods of time sitting at a desk without moving? And so many people do that. And that's a big problem in this country. You know that lower back pain is the second most frequent cause of disability in the United States. About 80% of people in their lifetime will have lower back pain. My technique, one of my techniques, is to give the body a voice. If your back could speak, what would it say? You know, for example, one of my patients said, oh, if my back could speak, it would say, oh, I have to stay at this desk without moving for so many hours. But also, I have so much to carry. I have my day job, then I need to take care of the kids, I need to go grocery shopping, I need to cook dinner, I need to clean up, I have barely time to sleep because I'm stressed out, and then in the morning I have to take care of the kids very quickly, then go to work and there is so much I have to carry. So that's very interesting when you give the back a voice. It tells you what really is. You can see that it's not only staying at a desk without moving, but it's also all the stress, all the stuff that people have to do, that they have to carry, that is so heavy. And when there is stress, there is muscle tension. You know, stress creates a secretion of uh, stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. Cortisol is going to make people more prone to infections, and they will heal much less also. Adrenaline is going to create muscle spasms, muscle tension. Uh, it's going to create also faster heart rate, you know, higher blood pressure, heart problems. And, you know, this could be healthy if, say, you know, we're at war or we need to run from a predator. But in our everyday life, it could really be uh, detrimental. That is what can give, you know, frequent infections. The problem is so many people now in America have this kind of lifestyle, have so much stress, and have so many of those symptoms. All right, let's go back to the person with lower back pain. So we've determined that perhaps they have it because they have a lot of stress in their life and because they sit at a desk all the time. So how are we going to treat them if they have to keep their job? What do we do now? We ask them to get the emotion out. Because when emotion, when the stress stays bottled in inside their body, it can hurt them. So we need to vent it, vent it out. For example, write it, you know, write the emotion down in a diary, for example. What is it that you're exactly feeling? Another way is going to be to, if there is a lot of anger, for example, if you're angry at your boss, is going to be when you come back home, get a punching ball and get boxing gloves on and punch in the air and punch on that ball. Make sure that you get all the energy out. It could be pick up a sport, but a sport where you can hit a ball, especially when there is anger and frustration. Tennis, table tennis, something where you can hit. And so that will safely allow people to vent out the anger. So energy, anger, stress stuck in our bodies can lead to discomfort and disease. Yes. Repressed emotions 
stress can lead to physical disease. That's the key to know, because until now, we treat physical symptoms by medication, but we don't address the emotional origin. Now, what, what if it's something that you've had, say, your whole life? You know, say uh, someone that has, I don't know, chronic sinus flare-ups their whole life. What do you do with that? Then there, are, there could be triggers also. What is it that the person has been exposed to in childhood? Has the person been exposed to smoke from cigarettes? Were the parents smoking? You know, what is the story? When did that exactly start? And that's one question I always ask my patients is, what was the trigger? Even when they were a child. And by knowing what triggered it, then I can know how to fix things. We can't say for sure, doctor, that all illness is caused by stress or all illness is caused by suppressed emotion because, you know, even little kids get sick. Absolutely. But also, why do they get sick? You know, people get exposed to viruses and bacteria all the time, right? But they don't always get sick. Why do they get sick? That's the question I'm asking could there be stress at that time? You know, little kids have a lot of stress also. A lot, most parents say, no, you cannot do that. No, you cannot do that. You know, part of them wants to do a lot of things, and the parents say, no. They have to have a lot of repressed emotions. All right, let's talk about this, though. Our world is very convenient. We have things at the touch of a button. Was the was life more stressful, say, you know, back before the Industrial Revolution when we had to use our physical bodies more? Or was the process of using our physical bodies to go out and plow the field to plant the fruit or whatever, did that help us process emotion? That did help us process emotion. But they were, we had much less antibiotics at this point. Uh, we had much less treatments available. So people would get sick also. You know, it was better in some ways, but it was worse in some other ways. It's a balance thing. Now, we have much more antibiotics. We have much more treatments. But we have much more stress that we're not addressing by, you know, getting in the field and working out physically. Probably everybody listening, or many people listening, have an ache or a pain of some sort right now, How sh- what sort of questions should they start asking themselves? If the body could talk, if your body part that has a pain could talk, what would it say? And also which, what the listener could do is focus on their lungs, for example, and give their lungs a voice. How do they breathe the lungs? Do they breathe fully or not? Do they smell any pollution or not? Or give their stomach a voice? And we can do that with you right now, Casey, if you want. I would love it. (laughs) If you were going to give your stomach a voice, what would it say? Like, would it say, you know, I'm hungry, or I ate too much, or I ate just right? What would it say right now if you focus on it? (sighs) My stomach would say right now, you know you always feel terrible after you eat a bagel. And I just, I, I don't usually eat one. I just ate a bagel, like my first bagel, probably, I don't know, in six months. And, and I have the traditional stomach ache that accompanies a bagel eating situation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
So, so then there could be a dialogue. So what I do in that case, I have a dialogue, and I show this in the book, between the stomach and the mind. For example, your stomach will say, oh, you know, you, I had a bagel, and I have stomach ache. I hadn't had a bagel for a long time, but, but now, you know, I feel that this is hurting me, right? And what would your mind say? Oh. Would your, what would your mind answer the stomach? What, what was the decision? What would your mind say? Oh, my mind is guilty. My mind is guilty for for not oh, playing by the rules. So my mind would be like, I don't know, I'm sorry, I took a mental vacation, I just ate it because I was bored and tired. That's it. So this is it. And this is exactly the right, the demonstration of my techniques. The stomach gets a voice and says, oh, no, 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 I didn't want to eat that bagel. I didn't want to have that bagel. And the mind says, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't think I, it just, I really apologize. Right? So the, there is this dialogue that can be created. And you see how easy this is to create that dialogue. And, and that can be used, you know, I use this successfully in people, for example, who want to lose weight. Because sometimes they eat the wrong food and they know it's the wrong food, but they cannot help eating the wrong food. And when their doctor tells them, no, 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 you shouldn't eat this, you should be on that particular diet, it works a little bit, but it doesn't work long term. What makes it work long term is when they realize, when they have this dialogue, when they realize exactly what is really happening in their body, that dialogue between the stomach and the mind, but it could be also other organs coming in the dialogue, which would be like an inner group therapy. If, you know, the liver could have a voice, your legs could come in and have a voice too. And pretty much and pretty soon, we have a number of organs that we can have in a circle, for example, and each one can have a voice. To me, this is a fantastic process because then we can discover more what our body is, who we are. Very interesting. So can, in the minute we have left or so, can you tell me what it would sound like, you know, all these different body parts checking in with a, like a make-believe client? We could uh, take your example. I had a patient similar to you. So the stomach will come in and say, my gosh, you, the, the bagel, it's, it's stuck in my stomach and I cannot get it down. It's like, oh, that was too much. And the mind is going to say, yeah, well, I apologize. I forgot about this. I forgot you couldn't take them. I apologize. The back is going to come in and sit at the, you know, at the table in a way and say, but I have back pain. Oh, this, I, I didn't sleep well. I, I need to stretch. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not feeling too good. And I really, really shouldn't gain weight because each time I gain weight, it's going, to, it's going to make me feel even worse. And then the legs will come in and will say, oh, you know, we have cramps. We need to walk. We haven't walked yesterday enough. We need to walk today. We need to walk more. The, the hands will come in and will say, oh, we need to move. We need to stretch too. The fingers were so tired of typing. We need to stretch. And the heart will come in and will say, we need, to, we need to have a more peaceful life. We're so stressed out. And the lungs will come in and will say, oh, there's too much pollution that I can smell. I need a more quiet place with more fresh air. 
so that's how I get into ex- making people express what each organ would say. I have what I call a mediator coming. Mediator is going to look at the whole picture. It's a part of you, in a way, that will look at the whole picture and say, you know, okay, we have a problem with stomach. We, we have a problem with the back. The legs need to move. So let's change what we're doing in a profound way. What do, really, what do we need to change? What new habits do we need to have? Uh, what new diet do we need to have that will be good for us? Well, it will be pleasurable because the mouth will have a voice too. The mouth will say, oh, we need pleasure. We need to uh, enjoy our food. Everything is just so, to me, just so fantastic to give every organ a voice, get in the mediator that will have a solution so that every organ will be happy or at least happier than it is now. I know it sounds crazy, but I had a committee meeting and I was surprised to find some stuffed emotion. The Listening Cure by Dr. Chris Gilbert. Let me know if you'd like a copy of the book. Email from the website kacey.co. Today's thought for the day is from Sigmund Freud, who said, One day, in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. See you next week. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. The content of Shine On, the health and happiness show is intended for general information purposes only. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Join KC for another edition of Shine On, the health and happiness show, next Sunday morning, right here on 100.7 WHUD.